Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. Well, welcome back to our Lent series. This Lent, we are taking a look at sin um, and kind of exploring the different ways that sin exists and how we experience sin. Um, So last week was our first episode, and we took a look at sin as um, an incurring of debts or a breaking of God's law. So where are we going to today, Erica? So today we're going to do some target practice. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we won't hit the bullseye. We're going to be talking about sin as missing the mark, um, which literally when you translate the Greek and somebody helped me with the Greek word, I don't remember what it is, um, but that's literally what it means. It means missing the mark, missing the bullseye, um, not quite hitting that center point of how we're supposed to act, behave, believe those kind of things so i'm guessing you're thinking about the greek word hamartia right sure yeah okay so, which is why if you're a fancy systematic theologian your theology of sin is called your hamartiology which just means your theology of sin which is really what this is all about right yes okay so help me out the basic metaphor is a little bit different than last time we talked before last week about picturing sin is god has these uh, you know, laws, commandments, uh, or, or statutes. And when we break them, there must be punishment or penalty, or sometimes it's like a fine and there's a debt incurred like that. So the cure for sin is repayment of the debt or serving the punishment or something like that. Whether I do it, Jesus does it, or the merits of the saints in heaven do it, you know, different theologies have come up with those answers, but that's the, the metaphor, the wheelhouse we're in. How does, how does this concept of sin work? How is it similar? How is it different? So my understanding of this is basically like God has this perfect plan for our lives, like, you know, this perfect path that we're supposed to follow. And we occasionally, or even more often, (laughs) go off of that plan, go off of that path. And so we have missed that mark that God has for us to be as perfect as we can humanly possibly be. This one hits so close to home. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more about that. So I I know that we have talked about the fact that I'm a mom on this podcast before, but like, I feel like there is like such a high expectation for being a parent right now, Mm -hmm. right? Like, especially being a parent in the pandemic Um, and like in like gentle parenting has become more and more of a thing and it's and I feel like that those expectations that we see especially on social media is unattainable like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it it often leaves me feeling like I am not enough Mm. and specifically I never feel like I'm enough when it comes to parenting my kids Mm. But like this idea of sin missing the mark is that constant feeling of I'm not enough. Like Mm. I fall short of the glory of God. I am not the best person I could possibly be. I am not the best pastor I could possibly be. I'm not the best spouse that I could possibly best parent I could be best housekeeper that I could be like there's all these areas in my life and because I have all of these areas that I'm trying to attend to 
I constantly fall short in all of them. Mm. And so I feel like I am not enough. And that is, you know, like, so, so that when I hear we're missing the mark and sin is falling short, it's, it's this, it's all of this. Yeah. I am so appreciative, both of your willingness to share that personal experience and the way you've woven it together with that language out of Paul's letter to the Romans about all have fallen short of the glory of God. That I mean, like that's part of his way of talking about the universality of, yeah, we all have experienced sin. And I guess I think as I hear you describe it, you've really illuminated so well both one of the real positives of, of having a model like this in that it's it's relatable and that, yeah, I get that. I may have never committed murder, so I can't picture you know myself as very sinful because I've never done something really bad like our model last time about breaking rules. But that sense of being inadequate, man, a lot of us have wrestled with that or continuously wrestle with that. But I think you've also given us a heads up about one of the uh, real dangerous or yellow flag pieces, if this is our only way of thinking about sin, is it can leave us set up for constant inadequacy of like, mm-hmm. is there never a point where I'm okay where I'm at? Is there never a point where I'm loved? Is there never a point where I can rest and here's what I am and I'm okay? If constantly beating in the back is the drumbeat of you fallen short, you fallen short, you're not enough, you missed the mark, do it again, do it again. Yeah. I as, have... a, as a recovering perfectionist, that, yeah, I get everything you said, Sarah. Yeah. I had a piano teacher who, God love her, she, she taught piano well, but she also put the fear of God into me because she would f- say from time to time, don't believe it when people say practice makes perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. I mean, it'd be the way of saying, it's not just practicing again and again and again that gets you right. You have to practice it right. And of course, she's right. If, I'm, if I keep practicing the wrong thing, I'm not going to learn the right thing. I'm not going to get C sharp mm-hmm. on the third beat uh, or whatever, but man, that could also put the fear of God into you that you're never going to be okay or that you're constantly like spinning plates, you know, that it's never a done and settled, okay, we're all right, and it's finally settled. It's There's going to be another archery competition tomorrow. Will you get the mark tomorrow? That kind of thing. I think this is maybe another point of difference that, again, is both a strength and a weakness of this model, and it's that sense of impermanency. We talked last time about the idea of sin being like a debt or a crime. And that's sort of got this sense of settledness of, okay, mm-hmm. once you've done the crime, here's the punishment. Either I got to pay it or Jesus pays it or however, but it, we can objectively say, has the debt been satisfied? And if it has, good, you're set, unless you sin again. Um, but this idea of like sin as missing the mark is this reminder of like constantly, I don't just get to ride on the, the coattails of, well, yesterday I did a pretty good job so I can be sloppy today. It's, oh man, I got to keep it up today. And there's something that keeps me honest about that, but also that can feel exhausting, right? Yeah, very much so. So I mean, it's like laundry, right? Laundry (laughs) never gets done. Right, right, right. I think that's a great way of putting it. And again, like for good and for ill, that, that picture is helpful because sometimes, to be honest, we can be stinkers and say to ourselves things like, well, I was good yesterday. I can be a selfish jerk today because, you know, my average will turn out I'm pretty good. Well, that's not really fair that no, I need to be decent to people today, regardless of how I behaved yesterday. But also that can feel exhausting. Like, is there never a point where I can get Mm -hmm. off this roller coaster? Is there never a point where we can pause and rest and be okay? Um, And yeah, just like in a household, the moment you've got all your laundry done, ah, sorry, there's new dirty socks waiting and we're starting all over again. Um, this can this can feel exhausting and con and constantly never measuring up. 
I want to then come back to something you said at the very, very beginning, Erica, that I had not even made the connection of until you said it. And it's that idea of like a path or a roadway and whether we stay on that course or fall, you know, to get lost one way or the mm-hmm. other or fall into a ditch. And it made me think about this in a whole new way, but that's shouting at us from the scriptures. Like I, I picture um, in the Psalms, you know, he leads me along right paths for his name's sake. I, I, my Hebrew teacher used to say um, that the imagery is more like ruts, like wagon ruts of right. Like there's a good course that's worn down into the path and mm-hmm. it's going to take some effort to get out of that. But man, once you're out of that good path, it's really hard to get back in sometimes. And that notion of lostness and foundness is that there's definitely lots of places in the scripture where there's that sense of there was a good path. We were on a good path and then we got astray from it. And what do we do in those circumstances? That's not a situation of debt. No amount of money will pay me to get back on the right path. So I need to get back on the right path. But how does that happen? And it also suggests that idea of we're in constant motion that like God is leading me somewhere and I might've made a good choice yesterday, but today I've got a new set of choices and there's going to be a new fork in the road. And where am I going to go today? And when I get off on a bad path today, or I take a bad detour today, what do I do today? Even if I made good choices yesterday or got lost yesterday and got rescued to me, that seems like it's in the same wheelhouse, I guess. How how, how does that hit you? Well, that idea of getting off on the wrong path, um, you know, like I said, I, I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> and so, you know, how far does that path then take you away from where you should be going? Like you said, it's hard to get back on, but like, if you're a perfectionist and you're, you're trying to do everything just right all the time, you know, even just a little weaving off that path, you, speaking for myself, you, you, you go back to that and you live in that and you regret that. And you think right. that over, like, if I, could have only done better if I would have done this instead of yeah, that or yeah and then you know then you wonder like well if did this decision change the plan that God had for the rest of my life um whether that be be a sin or, or just something else in general um you know like because I chose I went left instead of right you know how much did that change now the the, the course of my life because yeah. I made this decision I think that's an excellent, excellent. And I think you've also raised a way that this conversation and this this metaphor is different than the all or nothing talk about debt or crime and punishment. We talked last time how there's a real challenge if your only way of thinking about sin is you broke the rules of are all sins weighed the same or do they have different penalties? And the the notion of almost a spatial picture, uh, whether it's a target and like I was I was really close to the target but didn't quite make it or as way off or whether it's like uh, getting lost, there's possibility of being a little lost or a lot lost. Mm-hmm. And the consequences are different. And even how you get back on the, the right path is different. Um, in one sense, lost is lost. But on the other hand, if the, the goal is how do we get home? Well, then, okay, there are ways at any point, no matter how lost you are, there's a possibility of how we get home or how we get to the destination. And that feels different than the sort of absoluteness of you committed a wrong, there's a debt, you cannot pay it, you're damned. Um, it, it feels different to talk about, I'm lost, somebody help me get back on the right path. And it's it's different to say, I took the wrong exit, but I'm going the right way, then I was supposed to be going west and I'm headed east. Like there's different ways of being wrong. 
it actually reminds me, I don't know if either of you were fans of the sitcom The Big Bang Theory, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from yesteryear, but there was a great episode. It was like a throwaway gag where the one character who owns the, the comic book store uh, uses the, or uh, uh, it was Jim Parsons' character says, uh, you couldn't be more wrong. And then the, the comic book owner guy goes, of course you could be more wrong. There are different gradations of wrongness. It would be a little wrong to say a tomato is a vegetable. It'd be a lot wrong to say a tomato is a toaster oven. And like, yeah, there are degrees of wrongness. And this idea of missing the mark kind of captures that, that mm-hmm. if you're the first wrong on the bullseye, good, you've made good progress. That's great. You got ways to go, but but good for you. And if you shot in the wrong direction and hit somebody in the face, that's very wrong. Um, and like being able to acknowledge that, that's got to be important as we think about sin, because honestly, um, you know, I am a, you know, serial bank robber and I, you know, kick kittens in the street seems a lot worse than... I told my grandmother I liked her pie when I didn't really like it. That feels like we're talking about two different kinds of things here. So where is Jesus in all of this? Like, if this is one way to look at sin, like as a definition of sin, like probably not the only way, but how does Jesus answer this sin of being not enough, of missing the mark, of falling short of the glory of God? I think you've asked a really, really important question, and I'm glad you did, because like we're almost in our culture, uh, in, in, let's say, Western Protestant Christian culture, predisposed to think in terms of what Jesus does if all we have is a debt. Like we're like standard Christianity 101 in pamphlets and tracts everywhere is you have a sin debt that you couldn't pay. Jesus paid your debt. And again, there are way the Bible talks like that. So that's a helpful metaphor to some degree. But this model suggests that part of what we need is also training in how to shoot better or someone who goes with us on the walk so that we don't keep getting lost or someone who will grab us, uh, you know, by the scruff of the neck and carry us to where we need to go. Like, and maybe that's a place to start. If that image of going astray is part of the same wheelhouse and, and that language of you lead me on right paths for your namesake, that's out of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And the suggestion is, how does God save or rescue? Well, when I'm the one who's lost, God's the one who comes and finds me and grabs me by the scruff of the neck and pulls me back onto the right path, even at great personal risk to the shepherd, right? The I could fall in the ditch or I could uh, get eaten by a wolf if I'm the shepherd, but I'm willing to put my life on the line so that the sheep get home, no matter how many times I keep falling in the ditch, which often happens. Um, and I, I think that that's another piece that this model is helpful for. And it talks about God's ongoing presence, Jesus' ongoing presence, rather than the, you got your debts forgiven once when you declared spiritual bankruptcy, but then after that, any trouble you get into, you're on your own for. We talked last week about what a, what a pitfall that has been in Christian history, whether it was the any sins you commit after you get saved are on your permanent record again, or the old medieval, you hold off your baptism until your deathbed so that all your, you know, your slate is wiped clean or whatever. This model speaks differently to that, doesn't it? Well, Jesus is that target that we're going after. He is that example. You know, if you think of a bullseye, so I, I um, occasionally I do some target shooting just for fun and um, I, I'm terrible <laughs> um, well the first step is admitting it <laughs> but you know if jesus is that target if he is that bullseye you know and the way the example that he sets for us in the gospels is how we are supposed to live our lives then you know that's that guide to help us 
Okay, I might miss the target my first shot. The second shot, I hit the edge of the target. So mm -hmm. I'm getting closer. And then as you move in ring by ring by ring, you're getting closer and closer to who Jesus is and how he wants us to act as his disciples. Um, so he, he's that. But then I also think about, Steve, you said about the sheep and the shepherd. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, we missed the target. There's a video that's gone around on social media before about the sheep that's stuck down in like this little ditch. Yep. The shepherd pulls him out and the sheep goes hopping along and he tries to jump over the ditch only to land in the ditch again. Yep. yep. <laughs> and Jesus is that one that pulls us out time and time again. Even when we miss the mark, he's like, okay, do this, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you raise something that's really, really helpful for me just now in the way you described whether Jesus is the bullseye or Jesus is the hand guide in your arrow. And I think maybe, maybe it's both and at the same time, metaphors can be like that. But I think this maybe hits at if our only sense is Jesus is the ideal, I must live up to Jesus, Jesus is the bullseye, and when I fall short, I'm not enough. That's where we fall into that pitfall mm -hmm. that both of, of you described so helpfully about always feeling like I'm never doing enough. I'm never, you know, I'm, I never measure up. If our sense of this idea of missing the mark is, uh, okay, there's a bullseye, but Jesus isn't like objectively elsewhere and I have to copy him, but more like he's the archery teacher or he's the one guiding my hand, then he's also committed to some responsibility in helping me get where I need to be. Um, mm -hmm. And that idea of Jesus saying, okay, if we messed up, uh, it means I got to keep working with you until we get this right. You're like my mom was a classroom teacher for a number of years when we were little. And she used to say, um, that if she would give a test and she taught like fourth grade when I was growing up, if she gave a test and everybody did horribly on it, she didn't go, yes, I created a test so tough that I can fail them all. She'd go, I must've done something insufficient as a teacher. If they didn't get it, if nobody understood clearly that's a sign. I thought I was being clear and I wasn't, mm -hmm. how do we go back and help correct this? And I don't mean to suggest that Jesus fails, but more to say, when we fail, Jesus doesn't go, you're on your own kid. You know, hope you get it your way out of hell, but more like, Okay, let's try this again. Let me work on the technique with you so that you can see how to, you know, how we do this. Um, and that, again, that, that makes it suggest less like we're constantly being judged and more like we're being taught how to do something mm -hmm. well. And again, like we, we jump to immediately archery is a contest and we declare a winner. And maybe it's more like uh, the sense of, of learning a skill to the point of mastery, almost like the, you know, the, the ancient Greeks would talk about learning the virtues that like we learn from Jesus, how to love well. And on our, on our own, we're kind of stinky at being good at loving people because we're selfish and mean and impatient and a whole long list of things. Jesus doesn't just keep telling us do a good job. He shows us, he is present with us to equip us so that we get better at loving well or being truthful or being decent or whatever. And that that growth isn't something to be afraid of if we're doing good enough and more just to trust, keep on the path. Jesus is going to keep shaping us into his own likeness. I, I got to be honest, this is a whole dimension of my Christian faith that I didn't hear much about growing up and maybe with good reason, because in some ways it, it's, it's Lutherans aren't always comfortable in this wheelhouse because we get nervous about it sounding like you have to do good enough or else you don't get in the club. Um, but there really is a pretty deep strand in the New Testament about the idea of the goal of human existence is to become Christ-like. Um, and that's not like as a bar of you didn't measure it up, that's it, you're going to hell. But more like God isn't done with us until God has 
you know, sanded down the, the rough edges in us. And instead of being constantly worried, am I doing good enough to see God as the one who is shaping us? That it's, it's less like, have I done enough? And more like, is God done working on me yet? So it's more like we're the, we're the project that the master artist or craftsman or potter is working on. And so, yeah, the goal is smooth, finished surface or whatever it is God's making out of us. And if I'm not there yet, that's not of anybody's failure, it's we're not there yet. So God's going to continue working on me. And on the times when it feels like I mess up again, God's going to keep putting me on the wheel mm-hmm. until, until I, um, you know, we're, 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 we're supposed to be, I guess I think there's good news in that, that I never expected to hear. Are there any other downsides or flaws or weak points? If this was our only way of thinking about sin. I'd say possibly one is just, um, and maybe this is the Wesleyan in me coming out, you know, as, as Wesleyans, we really were going on to being perfected in love. And while Wesley thought that it could happen this side of eternity, for most people, it won't. Um, but it almost gives you an excuse to kind of keep messing up, I think, in some ways. I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe... I, See, this is interesting because, and and maybe this is how we hear this, depending on the tradition we come from. Uh, in in the the my experience of Lutheranism, so I will not dare to pretend I know what everybody Lutheran grew up with. But in my experience of Lutheranism, we almost never talked like this of the idea of Jesus as the one who helps us improving. It was just sort of you're a constant sinner, and Jesus is a constant savior, and don't expect much improvement at all ever. I mean, like that's kind of like our rhythm is every week we start all over again. Well, we screwed up again, Jesus, and then the the minister says again, well, good news, Jesus forgave you all over again, and there was no sense of progress. Um, there was just this constant state of we are paradoxically always sinners and always forgiven uh, by Jesus. And I think there's something valuable about that. We'll probably have to get to that in a future conversation. But I never had a sense of being challenged to, yeah, as we grow in life, we will become more and more Christ-like in some ways. Uh, I think it was more just like, nope, we're sinners till we die. And one day we're going to wake up in glory. And I don't know how, but we're not going to be jerks anymore. Like almost like who knows how it happens. Um, uh, And I think like this model helps me to picture that all this life is growing and striving. And instead of constantly worrying, have I done enough? This picture to me gives me the sense of when I'm lost, Jesus is the shepherd who promises he'll leave all the other 99 sheep if necessary to come find me. um, And he won't give up on me. But he's also not just leaving me lost either and saying, well, I love you lost. That's okay. But like, nope, he's going to commit to bring me back in the right path. Um, even if I'm really, really lost or just a little mm-hmm. off track. So for me, I hear a lot more good news and also feel that invitation to growth without feeling like it lets me off the hook. But that's just me. I don't know, Sarah, you've had such a, a different experience of being both Lutheran and having really different faith voices in your own childhood. What, what, how, how does this hit you? So the paradox that I grew up with is that Jesus is the only person who can achieve a perfection but gosh, you better try. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And you're never going to reach perfection. So there's a little bit of grace there. But again, you have to keep trying. Um, And like, because otherwise, you know, you're going to go to hell. But (laughs) (laughs) I, I was very much told growing up that Jesus is the only person who's perfect. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to reach it. You're always going to fall short, but you mm-hmm. still have to keep trying. Mm-hmm. 
And I think this that helpfully illustrates what is probably one of the biggest uh, weak points of this picture of sin, again, if it's all we had, was that it suggests a relentless, you are never, ever going to be able to rest in the grace of God. Like we talked before about how the other model we talked last week about sin as breaking of rules can end up being kind of graceless of, well, once, once you got saved or once you got baptized, you're on your own. That has a way of like hamstringing grace. This also can feel like you are on your own and you better keep improving or else. And it, it seems like there has to be a place in our faith and in our spirituality and in the gospel for just rest where you are. You're okay. You don't have to be keeping striving and doing more rest. You're in the arms of grace here. So it seems like we're still in search of what are going to be the voices or ways of understanding sin and the remedy for sin that help us hear that so that we don't feel like we are constantly on a treadmill and never enough. So that says to me that we have more work to do in future episodes. Uh, So we do hope you'll join us here on this ongoing series here throughout this Lent to take a look at what we mean by sin and maybe what it means to be saved from sin in the midst of uh, this Lent. So join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.